If you were away last week for travel, we began a sermon series from the book of James called Mirror, Mirror. James compares the Bible to a mirror. We look into the Word of God and it shows us what we're like. But the the Bible helps us see more than that. The picture on the screen helps us see how much more the Bible shows us. For those listening to us, the picture shows a pawn from a chess set sitting on a table in the front of a mirror. Only the mirror reflects the pawn as a king. The Bible says that if we look intently into the Scripture, we see what we are like and we see Jesus. If we persevere in looking, we pawns can begin to reflect the image of the king. The book of James says that change requires something from us. We can't just sit still and listen to the Word. We can't just lounge around and read the Word and expect that change to take place. If we're going to reflect who Jesus is, When we hear the word, we must do the word. Sometimes we're pretty good at that. Too many in our own town go hungry, but we have people in this congregation who help feed them through Old Man Rivers. This afternoon, right here at the beginning of the summer, we're meeting with everyone who will help with Wednesday ministries, meals, vans, children, and youth ministry. We're planning for a great start in August, and we need you. We're also planning to send a corps of volunteers into an elementary school to mentor students next fall. That all happens in the fall. But right now, there's room for you in Sunday morning nursery and children's work. We're called to be hearers and doers of the Word. It makes us act like Jesus. And James promises that when we do that, we'll be blessed in the doing. But in the very next verse, James says something else that can be absolutely devastating. It's a hard word, but we need to hear it. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 26. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God from James chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. Father, I pray that you would help us to get a clear picture of who you are and who your son Jesus is. And Father, I pray that we would be changed because we become hearers and doers and speakers of the word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, it was almost like the book of James said this old adage, actions speak louder than words. But I've known at least one person for whom that old cliche was actually backwards. I served as Ben's pastor for a few years, and that's not his real name. The only time he ever missed church, Ben was when he was in the prison system doing prison ministry. He worked physically to to build the building, and he he worked physically um, to maintain the building. He worked physically with his mind to help with the technology of, of worship. He was constantly busy. Throughout the week, a day or two, he would spend time at a, at a homeless and hungry shelter in the downtown part of the city where we lived. He just did an amazing number of things for the church, and for God, and for the kingdom. 
But I have to confess to you, sometimes it was kind of hard to be grateful for the things he did. You see, he had this big commanding bass voice. There was no way to ignore anything he said. And most of the time, his words, well, they were, they were gruff. Sometimes gossipy. Oftentimes accusatory and, and cruel. And nearly always some level of mean. I, I probably can't count on one hand the number of times I had to go to him and implore him to go apologize to somebody for something that he had said to them or for the tone of voice he'd used with someone. Eventually, his wife, who was a saint of the Lord, let me tell you, came to me and told me that the homeless shelter had asked him to stop coming down and helping. I was familiar with that place, and I knew they'd been begging and begging and begging to get people, anybody, somebody, come help us. And yet they had to ask him to stop coming because of what came out of his mouth. He worshipped regularly, did a lot of great things for God and the church, but it was all for naught because his words were much louder than his actions. James says our tongue has the power to make all of our religion worthless. But he doesn't stop there. James 3, 3 and 3 through 5 says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it, play, that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. Now in chapter 1, it says we're supposed to bridle our tongues. In chapter 3, it says the tongue is the bridle that directs the animal. James seems to say that the tongue directs the body like a rudder guides a ship. Deep down we know that. We know that our tongue can direct our future. It can direct the future of your family. It can direct the success of the place you work. It can direct the future of a church. The question is, which direction will our small tongue lead? It's a tough question, and according to the book of James, the answer can be very, very scary. The end of verse 5 goes on to say this, How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. I grew up in a small town in farm country. Many of the houses in that town were on the outer edge of town, and all of those houses on the outer edge backed up to fields that farmers planted in the spring and harvested in the late summer or in the fall. For most of the time that I grew up, our small town had no garbage collection. No, we didn't let it pile up absolutely everywhere. Everybody just had a burn barrel and you always put it where you could from your house on your lawn or in your property somewhere in the back. Late one summer, when it was particularly dry, my nine or ten year old friend Stephen, who lived about a block from me, walked outside to do his boy chores. Take the garbage out to the burn barrel, put it in the burn barrel, and rip open one of the sacks and, and light the paper on fire. 
the first paper sack he lit on fire sent a piece of paper floating over the fence into the field behind his house. A few days later, I stood next to the burn barrel in front of about 50 acres of charred ground, black as soot. His young fingers made a two-inch by two-inch square. And he said, he just kept saying it over and over again. It was only this big. It was only this much. It was just a tiny little bit. But when it caught, it just kept burning and burning and burning and burning. My friend Stephen didn't intentionally do anything to hurt that field. He just carried some garbage and wanted to get rid of it. Sometimes that happens with the words we hear, doesn't it? We learn something that's stinky, flammable. It sparks on our tongue and it gets away from us. And Half the time what we repeat is a misunderstanding or misinformation. It gets jumbled and confused in our language, and then it totally gets away from us. Former NBA player Edward Johnson is six foot eight, eight inches tall, and he has a history of doing great work in his community and giving motivational speeches to the young. There's another NBA player who's six feet two, Edward Fast Eddie Johnson. Same name, sort of. He was arrested in 2006 for sexual battery and burglary. Some media outlets confused the two men when they're reported. And as soon as that happened, Edward Johnson's phone started to ring. People who had known him forever lit into him. How could you? Others said, I knew that goody, goody two-shoes image was just something you were fronting. I knew there was something else going on in your life. After years of establishing friendships with several people... The wildfire of words scorched his feelings and burned the bond between them. They're just words. Our tongues are so small. How can our words wind up destroying community even if we don't want them to? The story of Scripture tells us how that happens, actually. Scripture holds up a mirror and tells us how we humans make that kind of thing happen. When God created humans, He told us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole world. By Genesis chapter 11, 11 chapters into the story, all the people of the earth are gathered into one place, into a city. And they're building a, a tower up to the heavens, or even up to heaven, to keep them from worshiping and trusting in their own achievements. God comes down and confuses their language. The name of the city was Babel. And misunderstandings have abounded ever since. Our current politics ought to show us that even if we speak the same language, our words have a tendency to divide and destroy and incinerate. Have you ever had something slip off your tongue in the wrong moment? Have you ever had something that you just wish you could unsay? That wish has been compared to putting toothpaste back in a tube 
or the feathers back in a ripped pillow. Once spoken, those words just spread and spread and spread and spread. Those familiar metaphors help us learn a little bit, but uh, toothpaste and feathers aren't strong enough images for the book of James. He's a little more radical than that. James 3, 5 and 6 says this, The tongue is placed among the members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body and sets on fire the cycle of nature and is itself set on fire by hell. When James talks about the cycle of nature, he's probably saying that our tongues have the power to set on fire every part of our life from childhood all the way through adulthood, our retiring years. Even more intense, James says that the tongue gets its firepower from hell. That's pretty intense. The word James uses for hell here is very specific. The word is actually Gehenna. You might recognize that because it's kind of a nice town in Ohio. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's a nice suburb in Ohio. I once bought a car there, which is a little disturbing when you think about it. By, by language, I bought a car in hell. That's just not good. James knew Gehenna as the city dump outside of Jerusalem. People took their garbage there. The bodies of criminals who had been executed were burned there. It was the place where the worm never died and the fire never ceased. It just kept burning and burning and burning and burning when Jesus wanted to talk about the place of fire for all evil for eternity. He used the name of that place, Gehenna. It was the always burning city dump. But before it was the city dump, it was something else. It was called the Valley of Hinnom. A wicked king sacrificed his children as burnt offerings to the pagan gods in the Valley of Hinnom. Gehenna. I told you all that to point out the fact that James said that the tongue is on fire from a place where people killed their children. Are we surprised by that? With just their tongues, adults have the ability to incinerate the lives of their kids. If adults tell kids they're worthless or stupid or ugly, it it lights a, def- a fire that can destroy them from within. But we can burn their faith even without verbal abuse. When I talk to young adults and maybe even middle-aged people who used to be a part of church, way too many of them tell me that they won't be back because of the negative things they've heard Christians say about other people. Folks, James makes a connection between the garbage-burning, soul-killing pit of hell and the garbage we humans are tempted to say. James says the word is a mirror. (laughs) If you want to see the greatest potential for hell to invade earth and your circle of influence, all you really have to do is look in the mirror and stick out your tongue. 
the Bible is a mirror and it shows us who we truly are. And obviously, sometimes that's pretty sobering. But don't be afraid of seeing who the Bible shows us we are. Because the first step in change is seeing what we're really like and what we're really capable of. So let's be brave this morning and let's keep looking into the mirror. James chapter 3 verse 8 says this, But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. I guess it gets worse before it gets better because now James compares the tongue to a wild snake that can't be charmed. It pours out poison that brings death to relationships and sometimes even physical death to people who are vulnerable and sensitive. Not only that, James thinks our tongues can be forked just like a snake's tongue. James 3, 9 and 10 says this, With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. A forked tongue is a fiery, poisonous serpent. When someone smiles and says, praise God or God bless you. And then speaks negative words of curse behind your back or to your face. It burns relationship to the ground. Forked tongues on religious people consume the faith of people who are vulnerable. And what's worse is a forked tongue in the mouth of a religious person. Poisons the curiosity of those who are learning about God in the church. <laughs> James is pretty intense. I mean, when I felt God calling me to, to preach through the book of James this summer, I said to somebody in the office, there are going to be several very quiet moments because it's the book of James. And that's just the way it is. And, and James is so intense that sometimes we need a break for a little bit. Maybe we should talk about Jesus. Have you noticed Jesus is nicer than James? Perhaps we should talk about Jesus for, just for a minute to give ourselves a break. Let's, what do you think Jesus would think about all this snake talk? Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says this in the words of Jesus. You brood of vipers... How can you speak good things when you are evil? I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The words of Jesus. Apparently what we say is pretty important to Jesus, too. If this sermon is a little hot for you, I want to confess to you, it was a little hot for me first because I knew what it was going to say a few days ago. And the truth is, this sermon ought to be kind of hot for me. Right before all these words about poisonous fire tongues, James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
My mom and dad are here today, and I'm thrilled to have them here. We live a long way apart, so we really cherish the time we have together. We're glad they're here. I'm thrilled to have them here. But when your mom and dad are around, there is absolutely nowhere to hide, if you know what I mean. If you corner them, give them truth serum, and and work the truth out of them, both of them will probably be very... Well, they will have to tell you that um, I'm capable of having a pretty sharp tongue. And they will probably also tell you that in some of my early days of teenage life and young adulthood, I didn't always follow James' command to be quick to listen and slow to speak. When I was already serving as a staff member at a church, a wise older minister challenged me about my, my quick, fiery tongue. He dared me to open up the book of Proverbs, start at chapter 13 and underline everything that the book of Proverbs said about our mouths and our tongues and the words that we use. He said, do that and then go back and read it out loud to yourself so you can hear it. You see, like James, the book of Proverbs is pretty in our face about how we use our tongues, but the book of Proverbs does something else pretty wonderful. So are you game? Are you brave enough to look into the mirror and hear what Proverbs says about what we say? Let's give it a shot. Proverbs 13.3 says, Those who guard their mouths preserve their lives. Those who open wide their lips come to ruin. 14.3 says, The talk of fools is a rod for their backs, but the lips of the wise preserve them. 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise dispenses knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. Proverbs 15.14 says, The mind of one who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of the fools feed on folly. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the mind belong to the mortals, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 16.10 says, Inspired decisions are on the lips of the king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. 16.13, Righteous lips are the delight of the king, and he loves those who speak what is right. 16.28, The perverse person spreads strife. And a whisperer separates close friends. 17.20, the crooked of mind do not prosper, and the perverse of tongue fall into calamity. 17.28, even fools who keep silent are considered wise. When they close their lips, they are deemed intelligent. 18.6 and 7, a fool's lips bring strife, and a fool's mouth invites a flogging. The mouth of fools are their ruin, and their lips a snare to themselves. 18.8 The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. 18.20 From the fruit of the mouth, one's stomach is satisfied. The yield of lips brings satisfaction. 19.28 A worthless witness mocks at justice. And the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. 21.6 The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. 21-23, to watch over mouth and tongue is to keep out of trouble 
22, 17, and 18. Incline your ear and hear my words. Apply your mind to my teaching, for it will be pleasant if you keep them with you. All of them are ready on your lips. Proverbs 23, 16. My soul will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. 24, 1 and 2. Do not envy the wicked, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of mischief. 25, 15. With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue can break bones. 25, 23. The north wind produces rain, and a backbiting tongue angry looks. 29.20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. 26, 22, and 23, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body, like the glaze covering an earthen vessel, are smooth lips with an evil heart. 29.20, there is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. James says no one can tame the tongue because it is a forked-tongued, fiery serpent. And some of those proverbs are, are really in our face about what we say, but there's something else going on in the book of Proverbs. You see, the truth is, I, I left out my favorite proverb about what we say. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat its fruit. Our small tongues have incredible power to burn down and poison and destroy, but they also have the power to do good, to build up, to bring life. And it all really depends on one very important thing. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. This particular Sunday, of all the Sundays of the year, gives us incredible hope for our tongues. This day is Pentecost. That's why this thing in front of me is red. The word Pentecost, it's the name of this great big Jewish festival that packed Jerusalem with visitors from all parts of the world. It must have been almost total chaos when they were there because people came from all over the place and several different languages were spoken at one particular Pentecost. 120 of Jesus' followers were together in a room praying. For three years they'd followed Jesus and listened to what he had to say and they themselves had looked at him and said, you have the words of life. They'd seen him speak and raise the dead and heal the sick. But they'd also heard the lies that the religious elite had said about him. They'd heard the lies of the religious elite who blessed God and also cursed Jesus to death on a cross. But three days after he died, he stood again in front of them, and again he spoke, the risen Jesus spoke the words of life over them. When the Pentecost festival came, they were in a room together praying because before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he told them to go into, go into Jerusalem and, and wait for something. 
after they'd been praying and waiting and, and obeying the words he'd given them for about ten days, they heard the sound of a rushing and powerful wind. And then they saw them. Something like tongues of fire came and rested on each one of them. These fiery tongues didn't bring the the poison of garbage with them. No, they did exactly the opposite of that. These fiery tongues showed the cleansing and purifying and cleaning up power of the Holy Spirit among them. The Scripture says they were filled with the Spirit, which means their hearts were changed and it changed the way they talked. Their mouths began to speak. But their tongues weren't divided and their tongues weren't causing division. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. On the day of Pentecost, Babel was completely undone. Everyone in the city heard what the disciples were saying in their own heart language. Because their hearts were changed. Their tongues were set on fire by the word of God. Their words touched the hearts of a huge crowd and almost all of them responded because of the words on their tongues. 3,000 people who were dead in their trespasses and sins came to life in that one day. Ladies and gentlemen, our small tongues are incredibly powerful. Our tongues can set things on fire. The question is, will our tongues be aflame with the death-dealing, dividing, garbage-burning fire of hell? Or will our tongues be aflame with the unifying, life-giving Holy Spirit from God in heaven? What will it be? Will the people who hear us talk, will our children who hear us talk grow up and embrace life? Or will our words bring death? Will our neighbors who are literally dying of opioids like we prayed about and all the problems going on in our culture, will our words, will our words just add to the death dealing they hear? Or will our words bring life? Will our brothers and sisters who are struggling, maybe with temptation, maybe with their own sin, maybe with physical ailments, maybe with something going on inside their own minds, will our words contribute to the dividing, death-dealing ways? Or will our words bring life? Our small tongues have the ability to set the world on fire. Will they be aflame with the death-dealing, dividing, garbage-burning fire of hell? Or will they be aflame with the life-giving, world-changing, Holy Spirit fire of God from heaven? There are more than 120 of us here today. What would happen if all of us were filled with the Holy Spirit and every word we said gave? life I'd love to see I'd love to see it I'm going to invite our worship team to come and to prepare 
to lead us in this song this morning. It's a song about the Holy Spirit. This picture in front of us, I love it. The Word holds a mirror up to us, and sometimes what we see makes us want to wince, but if we keep looking, if we persevere, we do the Word, hear the Word, say the Word, we begin to... We begin to reflect the image of the King. Let's stand together this morning. I invite you this morning as we're singing, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill your heart and to change your heart. I ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to fill your mouth with life-giving words.